Good morning, KGF family. My name is Kathy, and the scripture reading for today is Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3. I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the Book of Life. Well, church, just a couple of things before we dive into the Word of God together this, uh, this day. Uh, our board has formed a team, uh, board member, some staff, and some members of the congregation who are going to work with parents to discern a new chapter of kids' ministry and children's discipleship uh, into the next number of months. So please be praying for that. Um, also, just wanting you to know, our pastoral team is working and visiting with our hub and life group leaders. We're really wanting to equip them, and some of you are them, so that we can continue to see healthy hubs and groups grow uh, who are on mission, a gospeling and fellowshipping people. So please be praying for that as well. And perhaps you're trying to figure out how to get into the scriptures more. We really want you to, we, we value being a people in the word of God. And so every Thursday night, you can join Pastor Levi and a group of others to read scripture together and be in the word. That's online virtually. Maybe that's a good thing for you in this season. All right, kids, today, here's a little bit of fun for you. As we dive into God's word together, could you do something for me? Could you draw a picture of what you think your parents looked like when they were dating or when they got married. Maybe even a picture of them on their wedding day. And then we'll see how well you match up in your memory with what was reality. Okay, do you think you can do that? Maybe have some fun with it and talk to your parents about that. As always, we're heading toward a discussion starter, a question. Actually, today it's two to stir conversation. And we're into a big topic today. Here's the questions. How do you need to grow as a reconciler and why is getting along necessary to be the church? Hmm. I was part of a Zoom call just in the last couple of weeks, a plan, a wedding uh, with a couple who are trying to pull off a COVID wedding. Man, it's massively complicated. Yeah, that's a wedding from 1950-something. That's not going to look at all like the COVID weddings that some of you have maybe experienced or that I was part of trying to plan. One of the big questions is, who do you invite you can only invite so many. Who do you exclude? That's a huge question. And then, of course, who are you most likely to offend in that process? Not a lot of fun. All reminded me of my wedding day way back in the harsh winter of 1993. Jen and I had three people each in our wedding parties, uh, three guys and three girls. And so, hey, married people out there, picture the scene from your own nuptials. Go through the names right now of the people who stood with you in your wedding party, caught the bouquet like that old photo. Can you think of them? Can you see them? Or perhaps you were in somebody's wedding party once upon a day because some of you have been asked to share that honor and buy the clothes. Um, now, let me ask you a question. How many of those people are you still regularly in contact with? Jen and I have moved away from the community that we were married in, but we still have some contact with those who were, wore the suit and the pretty dresses in on that snowstormy day in the winter of 1993, except for one. 
Within a couple of years of getting married, one of Jen's bridesmaids sent a scathing note to us and she cut off all ties with us. And we were confounded. We didn't know where this had come from. We reached out for understanding, but her response was, if you don't know what you've done, well, that just makes it even worse. And it was all very strange and very painful because she had been friends with us for years, but a relationship with someone who at the time of our wedding made the top three was severed. We still actually don't know what happened. It's yucky, kind of like it sits right here. It's, it's, it's yucky. Do you have a relationship like that? Can you picture their face? Do you troll them on social media? Do you duck behind the clothing rack if you see them in the store? Do you or did you go to church with them? One of the great human needs is to get along. African-American leader David Bailey says that conflict resolution is a basic human need. And the world has been a swirl of relational tension Lately, politics, masks, opinions about church, so much is dividing people. And then there's the more intimate relationships. Uh, in March 2021, just a few months ago, a research study revealed that 15% of Canadian couples experienced a relationship breakup of some kind since the beginning of the pandemic. So forget COVID. Conflict is epidemic. It can be hard to get along. And country songs, of course, well, they, they can strum depressingly for hope. Tim McGraw and Tyler Hubbard's song, Undivided, poetically stir the deep longing of these days that we're living in. They sing this, I think it's time to come together. You and I can make a change. Maybe we can make a difference and make the world a better place. What can be done about this mess that we're a part of. What can you do? A truly Christian response begins with this gospel truth. For Christians, reconciliation is not optional. Just pause, read it, ponder it. For Christians, reconciliation is not optional. We must consider the sobering words of Dorothy Day. She says this, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Who? I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. In fact, Jesus said that reconciliation trumps your worship. Reconciliation trumps your worship. Let's look together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. This sets the stage for our journey into Philippians chapter 4 today. So follow along. You can see the words uh, on the window screen there or follow along in your scriptures. And actually, let's read this together, okay? This is Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. 
Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them then come and offer your gift. What a powerful word. Jesus elevates reconciliation to a level never heard before. Any, everyone agrees that murder is worthy of judgment. So Jesus said, you've heard that it said, don't murder and you're going to be subject to judgment. But Jesus says that anger toward a brother or sister in other words, the closest spiritual relationships in God's family, is worthy, of is worthy of judgment in the same way that murder is worthy of judgment in the court where God is judge. Turning on another disciple is in God's eyes worthy of hell. Whew. That's the strongest verdict imaginable. Could he say it any more clearly or universally? And by the way, in this passage, that, that word raka, which is a really strange word to us, but it's basically a huge insult. Think of any of the massive insults that could possibly be uttered today. It kind of fits in that category, something that somebody would say to another person. It's that kind of saying. And Jesus is saying that any anger directed toward a brother and sister or sister in that way is worthy of judgment. And then Jesus calls us to action. He says, if you approach God in worship, offering your gift at the altar as a Jew would coming to the temple, and it comes to mind that someone has something against you, drop the offering. First go and be reconciled to them and only then offer your gift. Jesus' words are glorious good news for a world that can't get along and is desperate to see if there is anyone anywhere who knows how to live. The disciples that Jesus is forming as he speaks to them in Matthew chapter 5 must understand that right relationships are crucial for right worship. Because worship isn't a ritual. It is a life given to God what he is worthy of which is my life increasingly aligned with God's will. And how can I say I love God and not love my brother or sister? Jesus teaches that right relationships with one another and right relationship with God go together. And God is more interested in the softness of your heart toward him and others than he is in the song that you sing or whether you like the preacher. Hmm. In the kingdom of God, reconciliation trumps your worship. In fact, our worship stinks and our prayers at the altar are ineffective and even rejected if we knowingly remain in unreconciled relationships with other believers. If you're approaching God in worship and there remember that a brother or sister has something against you, then leave the gift. First go and be reconciled. The emphasis, you notice, is not on them coming to you. It's on me going to 
them. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. The Holy Spirit, you see, is a master of revealing for healing. In fact, right now, as we've been talking about all this, pay attention to who is coming to your mind. Because when we turn our hearts to God and toward the holiness of God and his glory, the Spirit of God will often reveal things that are unholy. And very often, that ends up being relational. And that is for the purpose of leading us toward healing and wholeness. When the Holy Spirit brings a remembrance of brokenness, we are being led to the joy of reconciliation. We're being moved toward holiness, toward being like God who reconciled us to himself in Christ and didn't count our sins against us, but came our way. Being prompted toward true worship. Being prompted, in fact, to embody the gospel. Because at the heart of discipleship is what the world is aching for, which is the power to get along. There's an ancient book written in the year 230 AD. It's very old. It's called the Didascalia Apostolorum, the teaching of the apostles. This is an incredible ancient treatise enshrined and in it, it enshrined these words of Jesus we just read from Matthew chapter 5 in the regular practice of the early Christian fellowships. The instructions within the book say this. When you're standing in prayer together as the church, a deacon calls out in a loud voice. Now listen, this is what the deacon would call out in the public gathering of the, of the fellowship. Is there anyone who maintains anger with his neighbor. Because making peace between believers was the beginning of ancient Christian worship. It was obedience to Jesus. It set the tone for worship. Not the background music, not the coffee, but the sweetness of Christian fellowship and unity. And it, has pro it was profound witness in a broken world. Imagine... Can you imagine if we began our services this way? Is there anyone here who maintains anger with their neighbor? Would that make you leave the church? Would you embody the gospel? See, all this leads us to the practical case study that we find today in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. So turn there or follow along. This short little section of Paul's letter, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. Listen to what Paul's writing. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Civil war among Christians is the abandoning of heavenly citizenship. Last week in the section just before this, Paul's talking about what, heavenly, what citizenship in heaven looks like. What does heavenly citizenship look like? Well, civil war among Christians is the abandoning of heavenly citizenship. It is the anti-gospel. It is treason against our first citizenship. 
You see, we're not just individual consumers participating in a personal religious drive-through. We are members of the body of Christ. So we must learn and be reminded to be the church. This is for our good and a conflicted world's good. So let's absorb this very simple, very personal, profound vignette of life together in Philippi in around 60 to 62 AD. Paul is pleading. Paul pleads. The Greek word for that plead is parakaleo. It means to exhort, to come alongside and admonish, to, to beg. Come on, come on. It shares the same root word, actually, as a name given to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, the paraclete, not parakeet, that's a bird, the paraclete, which is the legal advocate who pleads your case in John chapter 14, verse 16. That's a name given to the Holy Spirit, this exhorter, this pleader on our behalf. And so Paul is pleading for two women, Euodia and Syntyche, who had battled in ministry with Paul and they were co-workers with the apostles. He's pleading with them to get along. Paul's pleading for friends and kingdom co-workers because he knows how much division destroys the mission of the church. Paul is pleading for the integrity of the Philippians to be the church. He is pleading for heavenly citizenship to be lived, to be lived out in the mess of the real world. Now, you know what? We really don't know the issue here in Philippians chapter 4. We don't know what is gotten in the way of healthy relationship between these two women. And I actually think that's a good thing because if we knew, we'd all wiggle ourselves off the hook and say, well, at least that's not my issue. I don't, that's not me. But the fact that we don't know the problem brings us directly into the story because we must debate the human element here, the kingdom element, not the issue. Christians should be a community pleading for reconciliation because nothing embodies true God-centered and God-shaped life like coming together in humility, surrender, and communion. Are we pleading for this? Or are we copying the divisive patterns of the world? I plead with you. I plead with you. If you have a broken relationship with another believer, reconcile. If you have chosen to entertain a divisive spirit, a rebellious spirit, even in the name of being right, repent. In our staff uh, time a couple of weeks ago, our, our pastors and our staff team were honestly frustrated. I have to say, we're honestly frustrated with the, the divisions and disconnections that we're hearing and seeing uh, in the body of Christ including our own sometimes. And then Devin, who spoke last Sunday, Devin spoke a clear word that centered our praying and our ministry uh, in that day as we were praying together. He said, you know what? People are not the enemy. Bang on. So right. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking to us. And, and we actually collectively, we repented. We don't want to entertain or partner with such a spirit that is not holy. The spirit pleads with us to not just believe the gospel, but to live it together in the partnership of humility 
that Paul's letter to the Philippians repeatedly reminds us of. So Paul pleads. Secondly, though, he, here he's, Paul is pointing to our Christian identity because his pleading points to Jesus. Be of the same mind in the Lord, he says to these women. Immediately, we should think back to chapter 2, 5 to 11, that scripture, hopefully you're memorizing it, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, and you have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage, but he humbled himself. Immediately, we were reminded that in the Lord, we're all on level ground. Listen, your sin is not bigger than mine and my sin is not bigger than yours, but hardness of heart between us is the opposite of the spirit of Jesus. In the Lord, we are redeemed and made brothers and sisters. Listen, when I chose Jesus and Jesus chose me, he chose to bring us together. So reconciliation is not an option. It is a gift. Your name he says at the end of verse 3, listen, these, our names are written in the book of life because God in his love reconciled us to himself in Christ. Now act out your identity. Live from that passport in heaven. If I live divided from you, if I choose faction or embrace my wound instead of doing the work of embracing you, I am dividing Christ the plead is a calling back to being in the Lord to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Listen, do you think that the gospel was to make you feel better? No, it's so that you live better. It's so you and I together bring God's will in heaven into the real world. Our identity is in the Lord and Yodia and Syntyche needed to get back to that identity together. Do you? And then Paul is inviting participation. He calls on someone in the Philippian church. It says in the New International Version, anyway, it says, I, I, I ask you, my true companion, some of your versions will say Syzygus, because some actually think this was actually the name of somebody. They mean, Syzygus means yoke fellow, true companion. Uh, and, and Paul calls on this person to help these two sisters get along. And that's rather interesting, because we might think, you know, we might think, hey, our unreconciled issue with another believer is just between the two of us. It doesn't really impact anyone else. What a batch of blind baloney. Broken relationships are like a boulder thrown into a pond. The ripples are huge. Unreconciled brokenness among Christians is a cancer in the body of Christ. Unseen and unattended, it just, it just chips away, keeps us from being an honest community, and actually keeps us from being good news. And so Paul pleads for the fellowship to participate in the restoration of this relationship because what's going on is affecting everyone anyway. It's not just Euodia and Syntyche who need to reconcile, it's the whole community. Reconciliation, you see, is a community priority for Christians. This is central 
to our sharing of the Lord's table. It's central to our ability to pray together. Historically, this is why Christians in our tradition, the Mennonite Brethren tradition, have washed one another's feet. It's why some traditions have a practice of passing the peace. Christian communal practices embodied and reminded Christians that reconciliation is central to the gospel and to the proclamation of the gospel. What are the divided issues among us these days, masks, LGBTQ+, politics, the way someone was treated, an offense that you carry, there are always things that can rip Christians apart, and they will when we make the issue the main thing. Because the issues are always real, and they're shifting because we live in a real and a shifting world. For Christians, what is sure is the gospel of reconciliation. God reconciled me and us sinners to himself and made us his children and named us saints. We are part of his family with brothers and sisters. Together as the church, we represent Jesus in the world. And he has given to us a ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18, he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So stop being sure of your issue or wound and start being sure of the gospel that Jesus brought, taught, and calls his disciples to believe and embody. Do we have this mindset? Sometimes we need help to get along. We need help to participate in this. We need a community. It's, it's what Paul is pleading for in the Philippian church. As a fellowship, we've been training people in the work of the Colossian Forum, an organization that helps Christians work through difficult conversations. Now, I want you to listen in. We have a little video here. Listen in as some of those who have begun to take this training talk about it, its impact and what it means to be the church. Listen in. Hey, KGF family. My name is Joel, and I'm here with Todd. Um, Todd and I both took the Colossians Forum facilitator training. Um, the Colossians Forum is, is like a small group setting where you unpack complex issues together um, that can be very divisive and challenging. And uh, the training that we took is... Um, for facilitators to learn how to keep conversations from um, going to places where they don't need to go um, and being adversarial and, and maintaining unity and actually building unity in the body. And we think it's really important. So we're just going to share a few things that we took from the facilitators training. Uh, the first thing that I noticed uh, in the training that was important was that these issues are not always black and white. And sometimes we go into um, the conversations um, with an understanding of like, this is what I believe. And we, we can be very articulate and, and know uh, what we believe. Um, but as you hear the opposing side, you realize that these, how complex these things are. Um, and once you appreciate that, you, you can begin to build common ground with somebody on the other side. So that was the first thing. Yeah, and I think there, there's a built-in... Um, propensity on our part to see most things as black and white, especially now in our culture where there's just so much of that going on, and and to go to the place that there might be something else going on, or there might be more gray than what we had really thought there would be. So that was the one thing that really struck me in the training was that 
was watching uh, someone express a different viewpoint on a pretty controversial subject and 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 resist the bubbling up in me of of wanting to yeah but yeah but but what about and what does the bible say and 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 jump in and and in a way i guess defend what i believe to be true and so that was I, what I realized in that was that, that that'll be the challenge in facilitating these discussions is being able to set that aside. And, and it doesn't mean compromise my values or what's important to me, but it means trying to get to that place of understanding why they think the way that they do and where they're coming from and mm -hmm. resist that that temptation to jump in there and just listen. And yeah. that was the part that I was I was probably most impacted by was how hard that's going to be, but how critical it is so mm -hmm. that we can get to that place of, of unity and where's our common interest. Yeah, yeah, listening is, is so important. Um, the, the last thing that we just wanna highlight is uh, the importance of understanding and getting down into the values, the fears and the loves that each of us has around these controversial topics. Um, one thing they said in the training was you can't take away something from someone that they really care about, mm -hmm. but you can add to the list something that they can care about. So as you discover um, what somebody values in a conversation, you can say, that's really good. I actually also care about that. Even though I disagree with you on maybe the politics of the issue, I actually also care about that. And I also want what's best for that group. Um, I, I have this other value that I bring to the table and I think is important. And if you can help, uh, if you can learn to see that their values are important and that your values are important, you can build common ground and actually come to solutions sometimes, you right. know, in best of cases. In worst of cases, at least you understand the other side and you stop villainizing them, which right. is, I think is, is, is key for building unity in the church, realizing that the other person's not a villain. Um, they're not motivated by evil. They just care about things in maybe a different order than you. Right, and the other thing that came up was the that some of these subjects are so controversial that really they're dividing churches. I mean, if you look at sexuality and politics and even the whole COVID situation, the response to it, that churches are, are reeling because they don't have the ability to have conversations in a healthy way. And mm -hmm. that is something that, that that I just recognized is so critical and so important right now is is that it isn't about coming together and having these discussions and then, you know, having a vote on it and, and deciding on the issue and, hey, are you with me? Because that's built into us is to find out who feels the same way that we do, who thinks like I do. But instead of that, it's let's just come together and understand each other better. And it's really mm -hmm. the, the heart of discipleship and, and coming alongside one another. And yeah. I, that's what I'm really excited about this. And I, I think the time is right for this whole ministry in our church. The time is right. And sometimes we need help. We need the help of others, of a community to work out our salvation and identity in Christ, to grow as a community of disciples, to be the church, to witness to the hope of Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who is our great reconciler. And so what now? Let me, let me make two suggestions as we wrap up here. First, we need to actually relax. Can we, okay, just breathe with me, people. Just relax, because to have messy relationships is normal. We're human. We will wound and offend and be wounded and offended. And so if you've got broken relationships, take a breath. 
you're normal. Will issues arise that divide believers in our church community and our fellowship? Of course they will. We're human and this is a human community. It's normal. Now, can we make reconciling normal too? This is our goal. Not uniformity, but unity. The normalizing of the practice of God's reconciling good news. So let's just relax and work at being normally reconciling. Second, let's embrace the hard work of community. Too many people allow relationships to fracture and then they isolate from others and they walk away from community. But listen, you know what? Mess should actually drive us toward one another, not away, because of love. Wasn't it your mess that drove you to and drew you to Jesus? Human brokenness drove God toward us. For God so loved this broken world that he gave his son. The reality of unreconciled relationships should drive us to learn not how to live that way any longer. And when Jesus describes how to reconcile, because he does in Matthew chapter 18, when he describes how to reconcile, he says, first go to the person with whom you have conflict or who has sinned against you. And if that doesn't work, then take someone else along. And if that doesn't work, involve the wider circle of the church. Welcome the community into your mess. Now, this may sound threatening. A bunch of us are like getting the heebie-jeebies right now. But listen, it's good news. It's actually the very way Jesus constructed the group of 12 disciples. They were the most unlikely to succeed as a group if you consider the mix of politics and personalities. If we've learned, listen carefully, if we've learned the unreconciled life, one thing is sure. We didn't learn it from Jesus. Because Jesus is constantly instructing us toward healthy, whole, reconciled way of living. The way of living that comes from him and is embodied and modeled in him. The spirit will urge you in that direction. For this is the will of heaven. And Christians know a better world is not accomplished from the outside in, but from the inside out within our own hearts as we believe and apply the gospel within our life together as a fellowship of believers who stumble forward but embody this good news and how we deal with the conflict that is very often the first test of heavenly citizenship. And this is what then becomes good news to the world. And this is why we keep inviting you into hubs and into triads to be in the place where the Spirit can form us. Are you ready to embrace the hard work of community? Are you ready to be the church? Is there anyone who maintains anger with their neighbor? Let's pause together, friends. Let's pray. I just invite all of you, kids, teens, adults, older adults, who's coming to mind? They could be in the room with you right now. You may not have talked to them for years. 
What's holding you back? Have you learned the unreconciled life and made that normal? Or are you learning the reconciled life that is rooted in Jesus Christ, our reconciling Lord? Jesus, as you speak to us now, we pray for obedient hearts and obedient minds, obedient mouths. In some cases, Lord, we need obedient feet to actually go to somebody because we've been coming to the altar of worship with unreconciled relationships and it grieves you. Jesus, would you forgive us? And would you empower us by your spirit? Thank you for your word that is truth that cuts to the heart of the matter and goes right to our souls and calls us to deep places of repentance and renewal and reconciliation because you love life and you want life to the full for us. And God, sometimes we just embrace life that's half-baked and messy, but we want full life. And so Jesus, speak to us, fill us with your spirit and empower us for what you're asking us to do. Make us good news to the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, maybe that was a hard one today. It's just going to get harder because you're going to talk about it. <laughs> we desire for you to have this conversation in your hubs, your household, with a group of people. Here's the questions again. How do you need to grow as a reconciler? How do you need to grow as a reconciler? Could you get honest about that? And why is getting along necessary to be the church? Why is this so important? God bless you, church. Let's shine brightly.